Shine, thank you, sir. Well, uh, good to see y'all again on this kind of crisp, cool night in uh, Franklin, Tennessee, and we're glad you're here this evening. It's always good to be with you. I didn't mean to walk behind the reader this evening. I forgot about the scripture reading, but nonetheless, appreciate your presence here, and we're here for no other reason but to honor and worship God, that we may glorify His name, that we may draw close together as brethren, as a family, anywhere we go, uh, places to worship, we, we always find people of like common faith, and that's that's wonderful. But we all have a work to do, and and part of that is to proclaim the gospel. And the way Middle Tennessee is growing in areas, we've got the harvest is truly white and plentiful. We need to pray that we may have more laborers in the, the vineyard to spread the gospel in this area. As the text was read, most of our text will be coming out of uh, Psalms 112. But uh, the thing I want to look at tonight is about being good. Being uh, good before God. And in Mark 10, uh, there was a fellow that came unto the Lord. And the record says in verse 17, he says, Now as he was going out on the road... One came running, knelt down before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I might inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. This man had the, the best question to ask anyone, and that is, What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And when a person comes to that point in their heart, they need to be seeking the truth, and that's what they're looking for. And so eternal life is something that we're all looking for. That's why you're here. It's evident that we want to be with God eternally. He's our creator. But Jesus asked him a question. He says, why do you call me good? He said, no one is good but one, and that is God. We're not good people. In the very beginning, God made man, and everything then was good. But when he brought in the law for man, man kept it for a while. But then when he sinned, he separated himself. And from generation to generation, even up to now, we have all have done things that have separated us from God. We've sinned. And every one of us deserve a devil's hell. It's being prepared for the devil and his angels. And we are guilty of sin. We have separated ourselves from God. So Jesus asked, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. Well, we know Jesus is God, and he's good. He is our best example. He is the Son of God. He is the best role model to follow after. And if we're going to become good... It, it, we can't escape the just punishment of our sin and glory to God because of that in which he loved us so much he gave his son and his son was willing to leave the glory of heaven that we might have eternal life through him. He made that ultimate sacrifice for man in which we could, we could never repay. But in order for us to become good, though we deserve just penalty of, of our due, which is sin, 
And all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin we know is death. In Romans chapter 6 verse 3, God sent His Son in order that we might become good. For us to be good, that means we must be right. And only God can make us right. And the way He does that is through His standard. Remember the other night when Donnie Rader was here in his first lesson, he talked about that the standard of God's Word is objective. And we have to follow what He desires for us. A good man comes from the Lord's standard, not our own. And even in the Lord's body, when men deviate from the Word of God and want to incorporate their own will, that's never good. Have we ever had that problem in society? Sure have. Does it continue? Yes, it does. Just look at the religious organizations that compose up the world today who claim to follow Jesus Christ. They can't all be good because they're not following the standard. And that standard comes from the, the, the Word of God. So let's examine. Becoming a good man, we need to maintain that goodness. And again, the directive is the Word of God. When one obeys the gospel, we understand it's like a birth, a physical birth. It is one who is a babe in Christ. But that babe in Christ is to mature. And we all need to be maturing. And in fact, every day that we live, we need to be growing in the grace and knowledge of the truth. Every day. We can fill our mind with God's Word and continue to learn something from it. So, with God's help... There are times when we fall that we need God's help. And He picks us up when we fall. In Psalms 37, in verse 23 and 24, the record says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. You see, we become good because of God's standard. We have to become right with God. The idea of being righteous simply means being right. The God of heaven declares us to be right when we obey the gospel. That's why it's so urgent for us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. For us to have righteousness upon us, extended to us, God makes us right. He adds us to that precious body which was purchased by the blood of the Lamb. We become a part of that body. And when we come together as a collective unit, each collective unit has its own work to do. It's autonomous. But we step out of line. We understand that and we have a pardon from God's Word how we can correct that and become right again. That we may go back to doing what we know which is good. And again, the only way to know what's good, to understand that, is to go to the, the standard. And that's the Word of God. So the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And He delights in His way. When we walk in His way, God has delight over us. Because we're walking in that path which leads us. As, and again, the psalmist would tell us in Psalms 119, 105, I'm sure most of us are familiar with this passage. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The, the word illuminates. You know, some people hate 
the light because their evil deeds will be exposed. And they don't want to come to that light. And so they'd rather stay in a comfortable zone as they want to in this life and shy away from the light that can lead them to eternal life. We have to step into that light. In order to do that is to look at the standard. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. Your word is a light to my path. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, as in the law of Moses, Moses being the lawgiver would explain to his own people, the, the children of Israel, and the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. He says, God commands, he's talking to the children of Israel. The old law here is, is given, and in consideration, he says, the Lord commanded us to observe all his statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always. God's word is the standard. It's for our good always. And that principle is even laid out for us now under the new covenant. We live under the law of Christ now, and it's the same for us. His law is always for our good. And if we're going to be people who are good in this world, we must be right. You remember Cornelius in Acts chapter 10? Many would say he was an upright, good, moral man. Even the nation of God's people, the Jews, recognized this Roman centurion as being a good man. But indeed, he was in need of salvation just like you and me. He did things morally. He prayed to God always. He gave to other people, gave alms. He did a lot of good things, but he was still one who needed to be right with God. And he learned the standard. Remember, the apostle Peter went to him, to him and his household, and preached on him Jesus. And as he's preaching, the Holy Spirit fell upon him like he did on the day of Pentecost showing the Jews that all men can be blessed from the seed that was given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Through your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That seed was Jesus Christ. And that's what he heard. That's what he listened to, and that's what he obeyed. He obeyed the message that came from the standard, and that was the Word of God. He became good. He became better than what he was. And he was a good man. And there's a lot of good moral people out there. But until they're right, they're not good. They're still in sin. They're lost. And they deserve a devil's hell. Just like we did. Until we come to the standard of God's word, we cannot be good people. Until we're made right by the power of God which is the gospel. Well, let's notice some things that gives certain marks of what a good man is all about according to the standard of the Word of God. And most of the things that we'll look at come from our text in Psalms chapter 112. And first of all, that we see about a good man, a mark of a good man, is that he's considerate of others. Again, 
in the first part of verse 5 of that chapter, of that text, it says, A good man deals graciously and lives and lends. He's gracious to other people. He's got his mindset on serving. Ain't that what we are? We're, we're people of service. It reminds me of the greatest commandments, which we can hang all the laws in this verse here on. That's this first to love God with everything that we are, with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like unto that, to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, the question had it been arose one time in the hearing of our Lord. Who is our neighbor? That's a good question. Well, I believe our neighbor is anybody that we're in contact with. Friend or foe, stranger or, or, or more than just an acquaintance. Anybody that we're dealing with is a neighbor. If we meet them for the very first time, they can become a neighbor. Someone that we can deal with graciously. And if we're in need of in, in any way, we can assist them. That's what a good man does. He's willing and able to help out, to lend a hand, even to an enemy. Look and look at chapter 6, verse 35. The record says, but love your enemies. That's a hard task to, to swallow, ain't it? To love your enemies when they're doing wickedness to us and they mistreating us, calling us names and won't maybe do us harm. The Lord expects us to love them back, to do good. Do the opposite of what they're doing to you. And lend. Help them out in ways that you can. One way we can try to help them is to present the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. To present our, our example to them that we are indeed light of the world and saw the earth. And to treat them graciously, though in return we may get abused. Verbally, physically, what have you. The Lord tells us to love our enemies. Do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. For your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the unthankful and evil. How often have you done a good deed to somebody and they never thank you for it? Does that ever get under your skin? That you wish they would show some consideration of appreciation for what you do? Well, remember what he says, hoping for nothing in return? You know, we still need to do good regardless of how they react or conduct themselves to us. That's what a good man does. He's, he's gracious in his dealings with others. And he has, he lends with a, a helping hand whenever the opportunity can avail itself to him. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, another familiar passage to all of us. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially those who are the household of faith. That includes all people. The good, the evil. When there's an opportunity, let us do good to all. And when we see especially our brethren in need, let's, let's help them. You know, it's Kind of discouraging sometimes when you're asking if there's anything you need and people, or you may invite people to do something with you that they refuse it or they, they tell you, no, I don't have really anything for you to do for me. Uh, sometimes we might get discouraged with that one, but sometimes we might ought to just go do something to help them without asking, like go cut the grass, go clean their windows, 
Or if you see any kind of need, a flat tire, go fix their flat. All kind of things that we could do. And, and in return, not expecting anything from that, but except doing what we need to do. In Romans chapter 12, in the last part of verse 17, it says, Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. Uh, we uh, sometimes tend to get cliquish in our relationships, uh, even among the people of God. And that's sad to say. Uh, we need to support the weak in the faith. How often do we give a word of encouragement to one another? And I'm not just talking about to the ones that we feel a special uh, closeness to. I'm talking about all the brethren that we're dealing with. And this is a small group. I'm sure you don't have that much problem with it. When you have larger groups in a congregation, how often do we take the time to lend a, an encouraging word to our brethren? To see the need, not being busy about it, but see what, what, what do they need and what, what kind of encouragement do they need? What are they struggling with? A good man is gracious and he lends. He lends his time to help his fellow man. That's what a good man does. And he has regard for good things in the sight of all men. He's not out there trying to promote wickedness. He's out there trying to promote genuine peace because he has peace with his creator. He's an individual who's one of sound judgment. He has a healthy mentality about himself. Again, in the Psalm 112, in the last part of verse 5, he says he will guide his affairs with discretion. It's a man that has wisdom because he investigates what the word wants him to do in this life. He enters in that situation by keeping sound wisdom and discretion. And when we lack wisdom, what do we do? Well, we need to go to our Father who gives it liberally for us according to His will, not being double-minded when we're asking. But we need to be sound and, and discreet in how we deal with people. That's what a good man does. He, he He's involved in the Word of God, and that's his standard. Remember, that's the standard how man can have sound wisdom, sound discretion. Again, in verse 11 of Proverbs 19, the record says, The discretion of a man makes him slow to anger, and his glory is to overlook a tra and transgression. All right, so a discretion of a man makes him slow to anger. You ever have problems with anger? You heard the term anger management? And I know some people that are very quick-tempered. There's the idea of outburst of wrath, and it goes away. And then those who hold that, and they become malicious in their thinking, bitter towards others, and they hold that in their heart, becoming unforgiving. Anger is a deadly tool of Satan. It's a strong emotion and a man who is good in his discretion learns to be slow of wrath or anger. And he says, and his glory is to overlook a sin. That is to wipe it under the rug? No. No, he, he again follows the standard. Well, what's the standard? Well, if a brother sins against me, if there's a fault with one, I go to him. Right? 
If my problem is with Mark, I don't go to Grant. Why? Because that's not the standard. The standard is I go to Mark. And we need to talk it out. And if Mark listens to me, that's the end of it. I don't need to go to Grant and say, well, you know what Mark did? No, the end of it is when we get together and reconcile. Or if I sin against Mark, being wise in judgment, he would come to me and say, look, Bob, there's something I need to talk to you about. And then we air it out and we correct it. That's overlooking the transgression. It's forgiveness. It's not overlooking sin that hasn't been dealt with, but it's one who doesn't keep it into account. And we do that with wisdom. If we want forgiveness, we need to forgive. And a man who has discretion will be slow to anger. Not only that, James tells us in James chapter 1, verse 19, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Why do we need to be slow in speech? I don't know if you're like me, but I put two feet in my mouth because I'm not slow of speech. Saying things I shouldn't be saying. Sometimes we may be joking around, and sometimes those jokes can be hurtful, and it's not meant that way. But nonetheless, we need to be slow of speech, especially when we're in dialogue with one another. We need to listen to what they're saying and not nitpicking at how and in the way that they're saying it all the time. Because we might take what they're saying in the wrong light and then we start assuming that they're attacking us and what they're saying. And that's not the case at all. We, 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 we're people that assume too much. Don't you think that? I do. But when you're preaching the truth, if we have uh, uh, supposing ideas, well then they need to let it out in their teaching and I try to make it the rule. Because our suppositions aren't the rule. Our suppositions can be wrong. And again, that's where discretion, wise discretion comes in. Preach the truth out of love. We do so when we are swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to rap. That takes discretion. That takes wisdom. Proverbs chapter 14, 29, He who is slow to wrath has great understanding. But he who is impulsive exalts folly. One who is impulsive in being quick in their speech or in their anger is not sound in discretion. In Proverbs 29, verse 20, do you say a man hasty in his word? There is more hope for a fool than, he, than for him. Hasty in our words. Be slow to speak. Use sound judgment. And that's what a good man does. A good man is stable. Up, I'm going a little too fast. Psalm again in our text, 112, verse 6 and 8. He says, surely he will never be shaken. His heart is established. How can we establish our hearts? Well, again, by the standard of the Word of God. When faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, can we not then make our hearts more stable? being established in the faith. That's what a good man does. In James chapter 1, it was talking about if we lack wisdom, let him pray that he may receive it, but do so with faith. 
Because a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Doubt clouds faith. And if we're not studious in the Word of God, what's going to overcome? What's going to be the triumphant element in our heart? If we don't study to show ourselves approved unto God, we allow that doubt to cause us to be double-minded, won't it? And we've become unstable in our way. If we're not exercising to stern good and evil, we've become unstable. There we go. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 9. Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines. That's a good warning. Because there are various and strange doctrines in the world today. More so probably than in the first century, I would gather. I'm pretty sure of that. Because we've got up to million or thousands of different religious organizations out there. How can anybody clean up all that? Well, they go to the standard. So do not be carried by every various and strange doctrine. For it is good that the heart be established by grace. Not with foods which have no profit for those who have been occupied with them. You know, it's, I like to eat. Just look at me and tell I enjoy eating. But how often do we enjoy feeding the spirit of man, which is more important? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Do we truly hunger and thirst for the Word of God, which is our standard. A good man does because he's stable. He is established in that Word. He puts his trust in God. That's what a good man does. Again, <coughs> in our text in one twelve, verse 7, last part says, His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. We put our trust in Him. Does that mean we have to understand everything about what God's Word tells us to do? Does everybody understand why we need to be baptized? You know, that question was given by Paul in Romans, the sixth chapter. When they were baptized in Christ, did they understand fully what that did? It was a death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord. That's what we were doing. We were dining with Christ, buried with Him to rise in newness of life, the resurrection. When we rise from that watery grave baptism, we become a new man. We become right before God. We are good again. He says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And truly, that peace can guide us as we trust in Him always. David said many times in the Psalms, I will put my trust in Him or in you, O Lord. And that's what we need to do. That's what a good man does. In Proverbs 29, verse 25, the fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. If we put our confidence in God's will and not worry about what tomorrow may bring, but go about again seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness, He takes care of us. You have any doubt about that? That's what the Lord said. And when He makes a promise like that, He fulfills it. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be open. 
I believe that. I believe with all my heart. And the fear of man brings a snare. Why is there a need to worry about things that we can't take care of? God's going to take care of it. And if there's something we can do about, why do we worry about it at all? Let's do something about it. That alleviates all that unjust foolishness. But there are people that live their life in constant fear and worry. Whoops. What did I do? Huh. I hit that down there, but I must have hit this too. I ain't worried about it. Sorry it happened though. All right, thank you, sir. All right, let's see me here. All right, First Timothy chapter six, verse seventeen. The record says, "Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy." We we have to confess we live in one of the richest countries in the world. Why is it we have people flocking into America because they want that opportunity? Fill their dreams. You know, some are coming in illegally, and some are trying to do it according to the law of the land. And yet, we live in the richest world, as far as I know, in the history of mankind. We are rich people. But what do you trust in? Who do you trust? You know, it talked about, Jesus talked about it's, 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 it's harder for a man who's rich. To enter to the kingdom of heaven than for a candle to go through an eye of a needle. And they say, well, who then could be saved? He said, well, with man it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. The dangers of being rich. That's another lesson in itself. And I know you don't want to be here to midnight. So we, we put our trust in God when we're good. When we're good men and women. Because we allow His standard to guide us. Remember, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. He helps those in need. We, we talked about that a little bit. Again, in one twelve, verse 9, He says, He has dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor. The poor can be taken physically and He can also taken spiritually. And when we see somebody in need and whatever case in the physical sense or in the spiritual he disperses abroad because he wants to help that's, that's a sign of a making of a good man he gets involved again he's not a busybody but he gets involved with people we need to be people uh, active more than maybe we are and that takes time it takes our time and then we need to lend our time in the service of the Lord. First John chapter 3, beginning at verse 17, But whoever has this world's good and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. You've heard the, the, the phrase, uh, actions, uh, well, I kind of lost my mind here. 
uh, 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 actions speak louder than words. Did I get that right? Okay. Well, isn't that true? You know, I've seen people sometimes, I haven't lately, but the people say they love Jesus and uh, they'll, they'll say a lot with their mouth. But you remember what Je Jesus said? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. He who does the will of my Father. Is that not parallel? Why here in the same passage, my little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and truth. Same thing. They're parallel. Actions speak louder than words. And a good man helps with his time, with his energy, with his resources, those who are pure, whether it's physically or spiritually. In Acts chapter 2, verse 10, we talked about Cornelius. He was a devout, he was a religious man, one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. In this passage, he looks like a real good man. And he was doing good. But again, in this passage, he's still lost in sin. He's not right. But he's doing things that would help him get him to think about how to become right, and that's what he did. <coughs> In James chapter 1, verse 27, Pure <coughs> and undefiled religion before God and the Father's is to visit orphans and to widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. There's a lot said in that verse. Pure and undefiled religion. That means that there's some impure and some defiled religion out there in the name of Christ. But notice the servitude of a good man. Visit the orphans, the widows in their trouble. Okay? People that need help. And not only that, but to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. There's a lot in that verse. Sometimes we use it to defend the truth when people use this verse in an unscriptural manner, but we're not dealing with that tonight. I want us to see what it's saying. We're helping people visit. We're doing something for others to assist in their trouble. And at the same time, keeping ourselves unspotted from this wicked world that we live that's what a good man does. He helps those in need, and he helps himself by doing good. That's what a good man does. He does good. And so, in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 15, See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. You notice that? Pursue what is good, both for yourself for your own sake, do it because that's what you need to be doing. And for all those accordingly. So, we don't, we're not people of vengeance. We're people to try to help get others out of the situations that they're in. Titus 3 verse 1, Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work. What's good? Well, Look in God's Word to find out. 
Colossians chapter 1, verse 10, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him. Who are we trying to please? Being fruitful in every good work. Remember, Jesus is the vine. We're the branches. And increasing in the knowledge of God. That never ends, brethren. We don't know it all. Being fruitful in every good work. Second Timothy 2, verse 21, Be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. That's what a good man does. A good man is right with God. Again, we looked at this passage earlier. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. The standard of goodness to be good is from God and His will for us. And when we're in that, He delights in His way. Though he fall, and do we fall? Yes. He shall not be utterly cast down. If we come back to him in the way he directs to be pardoned, he says he upholds him with his hand. That's what the marks are. And we probably could name some others off, but I believe that's sufficient for us this evening. Do you want to be good? Well, if you're here and you've obeyed the gospel from the heart and you're living faithful to that, then you're, you're doing good. You're good. You're right before God. And I say, keep on keeping on. Don't give up. Don't grow weary while doing good. If you've done, but if you have obeyed the gospel and you're not doing so good because you're allowing sin to creep in, and you're not wearing on the whole armor of God. You need to get that sin out of your life, whether it's in a private manner or it's bringing shame upon the body here. We'll pray waiting for you. But yeah, nonetheless, if you're here and you never obeyed the gospel, well, you're not that good at all. You're in sin. And being a sinner lost in that condition by dying in it, the only thing you're looking forward to is eternal condemnation. Can you imagine the worm never dying, the fire is not quenched? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine eternity in constant pain, wanting relief, and never getting it? Can you imagine... Being away from the very presence of our Creator forever and ever. Can you imagine? Well, that's what those who are not good are facing. And we all deserving of it, every one of us. By the precious grace of our Father in heaven and the precious blood of the Lamb, we can be clean. We can be right. And we can be good again. If you're here and never obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you'll listen to Him and His standard, if you believe with all your heart, you have a right to become a child of God. And John chapter 1, verse 12 tells us, Jesus would also say, except you believe that I'm He, you will die in your sins. In John chapter 8, verse 24. He also says, unless you repent, you will all like us perish. In Luke chapter 13, verse 3. And he also says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father who's in heaven. But if you deny me, he will deny you. 
Matthew chapter 10, verse 32 and 33. He told the apostles, like he's telling all men everywhere, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. These are Jesus' words. They're not mine. And yet we have a world of religious people that will deny that very verse and call our Lord a liar. That's blasphemy, brethren. When people deny the very words of our Lord because He set the standard, not us. If we want to truly be good in God's eyes, we must become right. And the salvation of our soul depends on what God has said. So if we're here this evening and need to respond in any way, would you make that known now while together we stand and sing this song selected?